0: And that's what all of Scripture is pointing us to, is the love of the Savior that He has for a lost uh, humanity. For us, while we are in our trespasses and sins, God in His book that He has given to us has told us that He has sent a Savior into the world. And we're reminded that uh, this is a faithful saying And worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And um, we believe that. We remember that Christ was raised from the dead according to our gospel and that he lives forevermore. And this book that we have as a treasure to hold and to read in our own language is truly that, a treasure from God, which one writer even said that he desired more than his necessary food, and who another said that he would behold wondrous things from this book, from the law of God. So we ought to be grateful for this book because it truly tells us of the one who came and died for our sins, who was buried and rose again on the third day, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus said that Moses... And the law, the Psalms, and the prophets, they all speak of Him. And He came and He fulfilled that which was written about Himself in His first coming. And He will come again to fulfill all those things which are said about Him in His second coming. Just as surely as He came the first time, He will come the second time for salvation for all those who are in Him. And as we look to His Word, I hope that you will readily and constantly ask yourself, And examine yourself. Are you in Christ? Do you know Him as your personal Savior? That He is not your mama or your daddy's Savior or the pastor's Savior or the other elders or the deacon's Savior, but is He your Savior? Do you know Christ as the Son of God, buried, risen again on the third day? I hope that you do. All that we look at in Scripture should be pointing us to the gospel and should be pointing us to how the gospel makes a difference in our lives. So tonight I want to talk to you, and I don't have any slides or anything like that. We're going to be turning a lot in our Bible, so I'd rather you just have your Bible in hand. If you want my notes, I will send you, I'll clean them up and send them to you. But we're looking at this topic that I've just tried to entitle Bible, Book of God. And it's really dealing with this issue of how can I be sure that the Bible that I have in my hand is the Word of God? How can I be confident in that? How can I talk to other people about this book and just do it with no doubt that this is all that God intends for us in the canon of Scripture, in the Word of God? So we're going to look at that tonight, but let's pray and ask God's help before we get into it. Father, use your word tonight, please. Uh, Father, use this time we have together, please, to build us up. I thank you for all these good people who have taken time tonight to come out to your house, to assemble together as the church. Lord, they could all be doing something else right now, but they're here. And I pray, Lord, you'll bless them for being here. Not, not because of this preacher, but Lord, because of the word that is proclaimed. Please use it in their lives. Please use it in my life and in us as a church. We thank you for the Lord Jesus. We know it's all pointing to him and that he is coming again one day and that we'll give an account Of our lives before him. The one who will come in righteousness. And judge the living and the dead at his coming. The Lord Jesus Christ. Oh Lord prepare us for that day. Please. In all this time we spend together. As we look into the light. This light that shines as in a dark place. Father, Let us take heed to it. So that that day when that new day dawns and the morning star rises. May it rise in our hearts, God, as we are being prepared for that day. Now, through your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, you might think about this topic and begin to say, well, if I'm going to be able to defend the really the veracity of Scripture, the uh, accuracy or truthfulness of Scripture, if I'm going to be able to defend the Bible and really have confidence in this book, then I need to know a lot of things. Like I need to know what canon means. I need to know that canon means a rule or measuring rod. And that that's sort of the term that's used in by the some in the early church to uh, determine what would go into the canon of Scripture. I need to know a whole bunch of things when it comes to the Old Testament. I need to know... Well, certainly that the Old Testament was translated in around 250 B.C., and it was called the Septuagint. And So I need to know that those books were kind of settled by around that time, the 39 books of the Old Testament, so I don't have to wonder about that. I've got to know about the Septuagint and the authors who um, did that, who who formed that um, Septuagint that the apostles used. And then certainly I need to know about those five books like the Song of Solomon and Ecclesiastes and Esther and Proverbs and Ezekiel, that there was a lot of questions about those books, whether they should actually be in the Hebrew canon or not. I need to be able to defend that and to explain why they were not in there and then I need to know about that council of Jamnia in 95 AD and how they took and they sort of ratified and they said that those books in the Old Testament those are the ones that ought to be in there or maybe that council didn't really happen at all I need to know for sure one way or the other did it happen or did it not happen I've got to be able to explain that to people and then when it comes to the the New Testament canon well I certainly need to be able to understand and explain everything that there is to explain about how that came to be. I need to know about those councils that took place. I need to know that, you know, really all the uh, writings were done by the end of the first century, by A.D. 100, and that the churches were accepting those. And I got to know about that letter that Athanasius wrote in 367 around Easter and how he listed out. Or rather, he mentioned the 27 books of the New Testament. So I've got to know about that letter of Athanasius in order to defend the Scriptures and that the Bible is what it's supposed to be. And, oh goodness, I surely need to know about the Council of Hippo in A.D. 393 and the Council of Carthage in A.D. 397. And not that they chose the books out, but they ratified them. They said, yes... Those definitely are the books that are to be in the New Testament canon. I've got to know all of these things for sure if I'm going to be able to have confidence in the Bible and defend it with those who may doubt it. But it doesn't end there. I've also got to know about the four criteria of canonization. You know, the four criteria. All of you children know all about that, right? Right? There are the four criteria. First one is this, that every writing in the New Testament, the 27 books that are found there, they were written or influenced by an apostle. Or like the book of Hebrews, the strong Christology within it makes no doubt that it is a part of the canon. I've got to know that Paul influenced Luke, that Peter influenced Mark, that James, the half brother of Jesus must have signed off on Jude's writing being the half-brother of Jesus as well. And also got to know the second point of criteria for canonization, and that is that all the apostles died at the end of the first century. So all of the writings for the New Testament must have happened within the first 100 years. Number three, I've got to know that the writings of the New Testament were recognized by local churches universally. Ephesus, Ephesus. Jerusalem, the church in Antioch, the church in Rome, they were all receiving these letters. The book of Colossians, the letter to the Romans, the letter to the Ephesians, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They were receiving them and embracing them as Scripture. So I've got to know that the churches were receiving them. Therefore, it must have been right. And number four, I certainly have to know this, that the writings of the New Testament... The, the 27 books, the reason they were received, the reason they met the standard, that they met the measure, that they measured up, that is, the canon. The reason they did that is because what they taught aligned with the, with the apostles' doctrine, with the, uh, the teaching and the content that the apostles set forth. I've got to know that stuff. And if I don't know that stuff, maybe I really can't defend the Bible. Maybe I really can't have confidence in the Word of God. If I don't know that the word inerrancy means that the Bible is without error, or if I do not know that the word infallibility means that the Bible, the Bible is incapable of being wrong or making a mistake, Or if I don't know what sufficiency of Scripture means. And that is that the Bible is needed to equip a person to live a life of faith and practice. It gives us everything for that. Maybe I just can't defend the Bible. So, I don't know about you, but I have a hard time remembering all of those things. Do you? So, those things are good to know. But those things will not give you confidence in the Bible. Knowing those things and the fact that those things existed are not enough. It takes more than that. And tonight in the time that we have for the next little while, I want to try to give to you the things that matter. Not that those all don't, but there are things that that are sure, that we can look to. And that's what we're going to do. The first thing is this. The first thing that you need to understand, you and I need to understand about the Bible, that this book, these 66 books that we have from Genesis to Revelation, number one is this. We must understand that Scripture is from the eternal God who inhabits eternity and does what He pleases. Number one, understand that Scripture is from the eternal God who inhabits eternity and does what he pleases. If you have your Bible in hand, I want to show you some passages of Scripture. and We're going to be flipping to a few. So please, you'll probably get there before I do, but I'm going to read them about the time I get there. Isaiah 57. It'd be good if I told you where we're going. Isaiah 57, verse 15 Isaiah 57 verse 15, we learn something about God here that we must remember about this God that we gather together to worship through our Lord Jesus Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit, the one whom we seek to serve with our lives and offer up to him a living sacrifice that is holy and acceptable unto God and that being our reasonable service. Isaiah 57 says about this God, For thus says the High and Lofty One who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. You see, we understand about God that He inhabits eternity past, eternity future, eternity present. God inhabits it all and He sees it all as though it is done. His name is... Is holy, And he says, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. This God who is transcendent is yet imminent. Because He is transcendent, high, and holy, but yet He is imminent. He is real in our lives on a daily basis. That is who is the author of Scripture. Psalm 135, that's where we'll go next. Psalm 135, and I'm sure there are no doubt many, many passages that we could look at, but I've picked out just a few. Psalm 135, verse 6, says this about our God. The one who we believe to be the author of Scripture. Psalm 135 6. I'll start at verse 5. For I know that the Lord is great, and our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and in earth, in the seas and And in all deep places. Why is that significant to this topic? It's important to this topic because do not think that man can keep the written Word of God being compiled the way God wants it to be compiled. Man cannot thwart that. Man cannot stop that from happening. Our God is in heaven and He does whatever He pleases. The next one is Psalm 33. Psalm 33 verse... And I might read a little bit more besides verse six, but Psalm thirty three, verse six, at least. This um, I'll, I'll refer back up to verse um, four. Psalm one, Psalm thirty three, Psalm thirty three. There's two places in here where he talks about the word of the Lord. Verse four, he says, "For the word of the Lord is right." And all His work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And all the hosts of them by the breath of His mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. Let's keep looking at it. Verse 8. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. Verse ten. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. Now verse eleven. The counsel of the Lord stands how long? Forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nations whose, whose God is the Lord the people He has chosen as His own inheritance. We see in this the Word of the Lord. We see the counsel of the Lord um, standing forever. Now, Psalm 119, verse 89. Y'all know this one by heart already. Psalm one nineteen eighty nine. 89. As a matter of fact, we're not even going to turn there because it says, Forever, O Lord, Your Word is settled where? Forever, O Lord, Your Word is settled In heaven. It's settled there. And we need not ever think that man can keep it from being settled here. And we can have confidence in this book. Because the word that we have is settled in heaven. Now Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55. Back to Isaiah verses 10 and 11. We see that this God, this eternal God... Has spoken, and he has a purpose. Again, we have memorized this passage, and we'll have to go quickly here. I've got a lot more to cover. Um, Verse ten, he says, as for as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. He says, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. You see, God is not sending his word in vain. All right, let's go to the next point. Point number two is this Um, Understand, Scripture has a predetermined purpose. All right, so the first thing that we do, we understand Scripture is from the eternal God who inhabits eternity and does what He pleases. Number two, we understand that Scripture has a predetermined purpose. All right, now let's go quickly through these. Some of these you're going to be real familiar with. Look at Romans 15. Romans 15, verse 4. I'm building up to something here. Bear with me on these. Romans 15, verse 4. All right, so it says... I'm going to have to be quick. We're mainly in the New Testament here, except for one, probably we'll turn to the Old Testament. Romans 15, 4, he says about to the New Testament church, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have what? Might have hope. So he's talking about the Old Testament scriptures, the church, in that day, they're receiving this letter in Rome. They can look at the scriptures that have been preserved, and they can find comfort and hope and patience from those scriptures. Okay, and The next one's First 1 Corinthians 10. Hopefully you know where I'm going on these. It would be great if, uh, if you all knew this so well and might anticipate even where I would go in some of these passages. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11. I know much of what I do is not teaching you, but it's reminding you. First Corinthians ten eleven, he says, "Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the end of the ages have come." All right, so he's talking about Old Testament uh, Israel and a lot of their a lot of their sin, and he says all that's written down for your for our example. It's written down they happened as, as examples and they were written for our admonition to be warned and, and to learn from them all right number three is uh second Timothy 3 verse 15. you know this one actually it may be verse 16 for we see here the purpose of scripture verse 16. And 17, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Okay, you see the purpose in Scripture there? Okay, several of them are laid out. It's all given by God, inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be thoroughly equipped. All right, we've got to move on. Now, I want to look at a couple of other more obscure passages. These to me are amazing. Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22, 21 through 23, hope I got the right reference down here, I I don't. See here. <clears throat> Give me just a second. Let's go to, maybe that'll come to me in just a minute, but Mark 7. Let's go Mark 7. Okay, Mark 7. Maybe I'll think of that other one exactly what it is. Mark 7. In this passage, Jesus is talking about defilement. They are accusing um, Jesus and his disciples of being um, defiled because they did not wash their hands. And uh, verse 5 is where we'll pick up says then the pharisees and scribes asked him why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders but eat bread with unwashed hands he answered and said to them well did isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written this people honors me with their lips But their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Now, the thing I wanted to point out to you from this and the other passage as well, and that whole, I'm I'm just going blank on that one right now. It may be, let me go back over there in a minute. But you'll see here in verse 6 that he talks about the, the prophecy of Isaiah and who did Isaiah prophesy about? Well, yeah, but he says of you. Isaiah, 700 years before, was talking about you. So that prophecy that was given by Isaiah had a purpose then in, it, in his saying it, it being written, and now Jesus... Brings it to bear on those who were questioning him. Let me go back and try to look at that one. You think that's it, Aaron? Did you say twenty nine? Really embarrassed about that. Yep, yeah, that's it. Thank you. All right, let's take a look at this. This is where the a question about the resurrection and, uh, was, uh, and the um, man who. The, the wife who was married to seven brothers, and they tried to catch Jesus in this. But in verse 28, uh, it says, Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had her. 29, Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. For in the resurrection... They neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? Saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now, that's the part I wanted to point out to you. Who was that spoken to? to you but concerning the resurrection of the dead you have you not read what was spoken to you by god so that that was written in the old testament was spoken to them in the real time so god had a purpose in that now let's go to another one if you would look at 1 corinthians chapter 2 now we're kind of building up to this. First Corinthians chapter two. <clears throat> y'all got it? First Corinthians two. Again, I can send y'all my notes on this. I'll clean them up and send them to you. Correct those references that I have wrong. Uh 1 Corinthians 2, verse 6, Paul saying to the Corinthians, he's already talked about what wisdom is in the first chapter. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. Now, notice this, okay, verse 7. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained Before the ages for our glory. Okay, do you see see this? God had this hidden wisdom. When? Before the ages. It was ordained. It was predetermined before the ages. And now, who's speaking it? Paul is speaking it. And then it's written in the word that we have. Now let's go to another one Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10. Daniel 10, verse 21. Now, we cannot get into the context of this. I encourage you to go back and study it. I've already preached through this. This is talking about a lot of the history in those 400 years between the Testaments. Um, Not getting into that, okay? But there's an angelic being who appears here to Daniel, and here's what he says to him. Daniel chapter 10, verse. we'll start at verse 20. Daniel 10, verse 20. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? And now I have come to return. And now now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. He's not talking about a physical prince. He's talking about the spiritual realm. And when I have gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. Verse 21, but I tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. Then he, in parentheses, no one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. Then he goes on into the history. This angelic being comes to Daniel and he tells them, Daniel, I'm telling you what is noted in the scripture of truth and then you can turn over and you can see things like this verse 29 of chapter 11 at the appointed time he shall return in verse 35 at the end of it because it is still for the appointed time. Verse 36 at the end of it. For what has been determined shall be. You see, he's telling Daniel things that have been determined. And then Daniel, at the end of all of this, is told in verse 4 of chapter 12, But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. I'm pointing these things out to you, and I've tried to build up to this. This is the most extreme to helpfully let us see That God from eternity has his word and that word has come forth through men writing it as they were moved by the Holy Spirit of God. And this God whose will cannot be thwarted has preserved his word and kept it for us. Now, let's do this. Uh, The next point, point number three. We've seen so far, we understand that Scripture is from the eternal God who inhabits eternity and does what he pleases. Number two, we understand Scripture has a predetermined purpose. And number three, we understand that the eternal God has preserved his eternal word. Psalm chapter 12. Psalm chapter 12. Psalm 12, five, uh, verses 6 and 7. Psalm 12, verses 6 and 7. It says about this word that we have. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Verse 7. You shall keep them, O Lord. You shall preserve them from this generation forever. Matthew chapter 5 verse 18, we've memorized that. Matthew 5:18 The Lord Jesus says, "For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Matthew 24, verse 35. We've memorized it. It says in verse 35, not verse 25, but verse 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, says the grass withers the flower fails, but the word of our God stands forever. That's what God has said about his word. And he is the eternal God who inhabits eternity, who does not change and who cannot lie. And this God has given his word. And he's preserved it. Now, point number four, we understand this, that scripture Came by means that Scripture came by means, not like Kevin means, but it came by means. It came, it, it did come. How? Second Timothy three sixteen. All Scripture is given by what? Inspiration. Does he might have a different translation than that? What does it say? Breathed out by God. The word that is that is translated there is like theo Neustos. It is a word, theo is God. Nustos, breathe. God breathed. So it's not really inspiration, but God has breathed it out. When God desired to give His word, He breathed it out. And how did that breath come? How did it manifest itself? The Holy Spirit, like we saw this morning... Moved men to write down His Word that He desired to have written for us, for our glory. And it is a Word that is already settled in heaven forever. But yet He's given it to us through men. So it came by means. Number five. We understand that men understood they were writing God's eternal word. And so did his people. Now, I need to summarize this very quickly. I'll give you the references if you want to jot them down. We probably won't have time to turn to all of them, but we see this. In 1 1 Corinthians 14, verse 37 When the apostle wrote there, he said, if anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. He said they are. Here they are. I'm giving them to you. These are the commandments of the Lord. So when the church received that, what could they say? This is scripture. This is from God. He has given it to us. We see 1 Thessalonians 5.27 where an epistle was written and he says, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. And then there's that epistle that he's talking about, the letter to the Colossians in Colossians 4.16. He says, now when this epistle is read among you, See that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans. And that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. And then we see in Revelation 1.3. He says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy. And keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near." When the revelation is written, it was understood that it was from God. We know that it didn't take long for them to receive scripture as scripture because Peter referred to Paul's writing as scripture in 2 Peter chapter 3:15 and 16. We won't look at it. You might want to write these references down. 1 Timothy 5:18, Paul quotes Luke in Luke 10:17. And he quoted him as quoting Scripture. Now, you might ask the question, why does all this matter? I hope that we see that it matters because though you may not know about all the councils and you may not know about all the, the books of the Apocrypha and all those that are questioned in Scripture, or not in Scripture but outside of Scripture, non-biblical, non-canonical books, you may not know all about those and all the history and debates that have gone along with it. But if you know your Bible, you know enough from your Bible to know that what we have in Scripture is the Word of God. Not because man was able to bring it together, but because a, a perfect God who dwells in eternity is able to preserve His Word. And He has given it to us in the Bible, the book of books. Why? Well, you have known the Holy Scriptures from childhood, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the book that has the message of salvation. And it is the book that prepares us for the day of an accounting before God. But we realize finally this, that in this book, it is not a book that is understand understood by natural man, is it? The Spirit of God, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, reveals to us the mind of God. John 10, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me in John chapter 7 verse 17 the Lord Jesus said if anyone wills to do his will he shall know concerning the doctrine whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority you see it is a book that is supernatural And it really is a book that is supernaturally understood by the help of the Spirit of God. So in conclusion, God moved men to write. Scripture sifted throughout the Old Testament people of God and the New Testament people of God in the churches, and they copied it. And they accepted it. And they treasured it. And through counsels and debates and persecutions and through neglect, the scripture has remained intact because God, eternal God, has spoken His eternal word to man through men. And it remains forever because God is forever. That's all I've got. I hope that makes some sense to y'all. Um, and to all of us, I hope we are encouraged by it. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Well, Lord, I know that's a lot to for us to cover on Sunday night. But Lord, what a wonderful truth it is. Lord, though the Word of God by man has been treasured, though it has by the church been revered, it's been taught, it's been carefully copied, Lord, we ultimately do not rely upon those things to be confident in your Word. Father, ultimately we rely upon the truth of who you are and the character of God and the power of God and the, um, all that you know, Lord, the omniscience of God. So Lord, our hope is not in the wisdom of men, but our hope is in the, the power of God and the Spirit of God so working to preserve your written word for your church, for our glory. So, Lord, I pray that our confidence can be in this, in what you've said in the the book. And I pray it will drive us, Lord, to hold tight to it. Thank you for the one to whom it all aims and points, Christ. Christ crucified, risen again on the third day. I pray, Lord, that anyone who's not known Christ as Savior, who's rejected or maybe never seen before the the theme of this book, I pray they'll see it in Christ and embrace Him as their Savior through faith. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.